Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? All right. Yeah, you're coming through just just fine. Okay, great. Good. How are you, man? I'm good, man. Sorry about the delay. Oh, well, it happens. <laughs> all right, I'm all yours. All right. Uh, let me see. I have some notes prepared. Just a second. All right. Uh, are you drinking anything? Yeah, so uh, I just left the gym, so I have some expired protein powder that I'm drinking. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully I don't get sick. I don't think it goes bad overnight. Expired protein powder. On what? That I mean, how long does protein powder last? I know. I would think it lasts several years. Um, it's like this expensive organic crap, and uh, hmm. I think I'm only like maybe a month over. But it's got like a year a year shelf life, so I don't I don't think I'm gonna die. Ah, uh, you should probably be good. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, I myself, because it's, uh, let's see, 7.30 here. I just poured myself a glass of uh, uh, Kraken Black Spice uh, rum. Oh, Kraken. Because, yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm. Because good for I'm you. a sucker uh, for hard liquor. Um, it's got a beautiful yeah. bottle, that one. Yeah, yeah. I like it a lot. Um See, and uh, with that, I actually have a full liter of water because hard liquor just sucks me dry completely. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, so a few things I was uh, hoping to get into today. Uh, mm -hmm. We're gonna kind of structure this from a uh, progression from interesting, good content that might have some value to just pure trash. Uh, Wonderful. Might possibly be entertaining. Um, so, my first thing uh, that I wanted to get into with you is your um, experiences with uh, the Dutch slash English Navy. Um, sure. I've heard you talk about this before, uh, but never really in depth. Um, and, well, from what I heard, there were a lot of very uh, clear differences in the way people were treated. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so that's one. Uh, from there, I want to get into some Boogaloo stuff. Uh, in particular, uh, a topic I definitely did not steal from you, uh, tactical alcohol. Okay. Uh, then uh, there's uh, a little sidestep into Czech Chihuahuas uh, and just my general plan of um, making the zoo my base for basically oh. all my boogalooing. Um, and then depending on how much time we have uh, from there, I want to get into... Uh, some conspiracy stuff because I have some evidence that the Coast Guard isn't real and cool. you're involved in a big CAA plot to destroy the LP from inside out. Well, I can't confirm or deny that, but we can discuss it a little bit. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, right. Time with the uh, Dutch slash English Navy. Um, sure. The one thing uh, I remember from what you tell about it is the, um, the, the different in bars so there being a bar for the uh enlisted soldiers i guess navy men, sailors uh like middle officers and higher officers uh, mm -hmm. which basically everyone had to per ask permission to the people in there to uh, come in so uh both the british and the dutch that i worked with um and some of my teammates were lucky enough to deploy with the canadian ship and they, they reported mm -hmm. similar findings um when we get on the the first time I had gotten on the boat, I mean, we hear stories in the office about it, but when I got to the ship, um, the bars, as far as I know, were open access 24 seven, which was shocking because the, the command treated everyone on the ship like an adult and they expected them to compose themselves, you know, 
as such. So mm-hmm. the bars were unlocked. Uh, there were three of them. And it was very clear that there was one for the high-ranking officers, one for the middle-ranking officers, and one for the lower enlisted. Um, right. And we were told, and I've seen, I've seen it in action. So sometimes when you're told things in the military, like you're like, oh, that sounds nice, but we'll see, you know, if it's true or not. So we were told that you don't go into a bar, you know, higher than your grade. You also don't go into a bar lower than your grade or your rank. Um, right. And that was to respect the private area of the people of different ranks, so that they can decompress and relax in an area that's free from coercion or intimidation or any of those things. Right. Yeah, so that makes sense. I remember specifically, I was on a British ship, and it was the first time I saw it. Um, we kind of just walked in and out of the bar, no problem, um, at our rank level. Um, we, were, we were kind of outside of their chain of command, so we kind of could go into and out of bars just because we were foreigners and our system was a little different, and we operated right. differently. We operated as a single unit with full authority. Everyone on the team pretty much had a lot more ability to make command decisions. So we went in and out of most of the bars pretty freely, but um, we were sitting in the enlisted bar and I heard a big knock on the door and I'm like, hmm, usually people don't knock. They just come in and the door opens. And um, even the feeling of authority was different. In the United States military, you're almost trained instinctively from the day one of boot camp that when you see someone of higher rank, you act differently. So you don't act like a human. Right. You have to like stand straighter and speak differently. Yeah. And like, it, even if you just act normal and relaxed, sometimes officers in the American military, they take offense to that. Um, right. So they expect you visually to change the way you stand, even if it's not an official communication. So someone mm-hmm. knocks on the door and this enlisted guy walks over. He opens the door. He goes, oh, hey, sir, what's up? And I'm like, oh, God, he's going to get in trouble. And the officer goes, hey, you know, I was wondering if I could just get this signature from one of the other guys in here, if you don't mind. And he goes, OK, shuts the door, walks away. And I'm like, whoa. He just shut the door in that, in that officer's face. And I'm like, I'm expecting him to like knock on the door again. And everyone waits. Everyone's calm. He goes gets and gets the guy, brings him to the door. He opens the door and the officer goes, oh, yeah, uh, there you are. Can you just, I'm wondering, I'm sorry to bug you, but can you just sign this for me real quick? So he signs it and they smile and they walk away and the door shuts again. And I'm like, oh, my God, that was so weird. Like that is so not American at all. And I love it. Um, it was a beautiful That's thing amazing. that. And the people in those services, um, everyone has complaints. But right. yeah, uh, of percent, percentage-wise, the people that are in those foreign services, at least that I worked with, are so much happier with their life in those services because they're treated like adults and they're not beat down every day because they have the ability to decompress, because they have the ability to act like an adult. Um, and they fucked up sometimes. I mean, one night there was a party that got way too wild. And the people that did stupid shit, they got held accountable and the world kept spinning. It wasn't like, oh, my God, everything's over. You ruined it. It was like, hey, the guy that had the sack of flour that ran through the whole ship in his underwear, spilling flour everywhere, <laughs> clean it up. So he would, the next morning he woke up and he was cleaning all the hallways of the ship. Passageways, and uh, and no one got yelled at. There was no big announcement. You know, they didn't shut down the bar. Everyone just kept living. And uh, I thought it was a beautiful experience for me because... I did a show with Jared from Biting the Bullet. Uh, yeah, Luke. Yeah. I did a show with Luke from Biting. Jesus Christ, I'm bad with that. <laughs> I did a show with Luke from Biting the Bullet, and we we both talked about one of the biggest things we brought from our experience was the perspective. And I'm so right. thankful that I worked with foreign militaries that did thing. They did the same mission as us, very mm-hmm. differently, and it was just it was really va- valuable to me. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Um, let me think. For, so uh, one thing. I heard from Jared, a uh, thing that just kind of came up at some point in the Discord, was that um, 
during his deployment in uh, Afghanistan, he um, at some point he was teaching some uh, uh, some some Dutch guys the I don't know something about deploying. Uh, wait a second, I'm having some audio issues here. Okay. Is there like something loud going on in your background? Uh, I'm in my quiet office. There shouldn't be. Ah, well. Do you still hear it? Yeah, I'm still here. I mean, do you um, do you still hear the the noise? I think not. Okay, if you do, let me know and I'll try it. Reset. Yeah, yeah, that was like a really loud, uh, like crackling in the background. Okay. Um, well, anyway, um, <laughs> he was teaching the guy something about calling in air support or calling in, I don't know exactly what. Uh, but from what he told me, uh, one is that the Dutch guys had an absolute blast because they didn't have as much access to this kind of um, this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And secondly, <laughs> they drank like fish. <laughs> yeah, a lot of military people do. I don't know who who the best drinkers are, um, but the Dutch and the British sure give us a run for our money. Well, I mean, at least here, uh, heavy drinking is limited to the military. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try something for a second, because I think I'm hearing myself back, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some earbuds here. And see, this podcast isn't supposed to be high quality, so... I'm literally just using my uh, Bluetooth headset. Great, me too. And sometimes if uh, if this headset is a little sensitive to certain noise, I can switch and just talk on my phone regular, if that helps. Yeah, maybe that helps. I'll try my right, earbuds I'll... first. All right. Am I coming through? Yeah, I hear you. It sounds a little different, but I can still hear you just fine. Yeah, well, that happens. Uh, I still hear myself back, but it's it's... Somehow less bad. Um, okay. <laughs> oh man, um, if I keep hearing myself like this, it's going to be hard. Um, right. So, what I want to ask you is, where do you think this uh, this this difference comes from? Because clearly, in the Canadian, Dutch, English military, uh, there's much more uh, people are much more treated like adults. Mm-hmm. So why uh, why is the American military so different? Uh, you know, we've I've asked myself that question, but I've never really explored the answer. So I think that it has got. I mean, I think it's from the top down. So I think it's from the way our our governments interact with our citizens a little bit differently. Yeah, uh, I think it could be the way our economies run, maybe slightly differently. I think it can all uh, its roots. I think probably start from there. Uh, in in the American military, of course, uh, it's big military, big government, and big business. They all shake hands a lot. Yeah. Um, so the focus in the American military when you're an officer is not necessarily towards having a more enjoyable uh, lifestyle with the people that work for you. It's about climbing the ladder, getting out, and going to big business or going into big government. So the focus right. is a little bit different. I think probably in a smaller country or in a country with a different military budget – or with a government that operates a little bit differently. Um, I think they have, you don't have so much to lose, maybe, if you spend more time focusing on the mission and the men that do the mission. That's, that's, and that's not a, uh, that's just me guessing. I haven't really put a lot of thought into that, but that might be where it stems from. Right, that's interesting. Um, one of the things that uh, occurs to me um, is that, uh, in a way, the, the military is a lot more present, I guess, in American daily life. 
Like mm-hmm. uh, when I uh, was in the US, um, one of the things that you see is that, well, A, there's like uh, a, an almost creepy kind of patriotism between mm-hmm. uh, pledges of allegiance, people having their flags hanging out everywhere. Um, but there's also the whole, uh, you know, thanking all the vets for their service and, and discounts for yeah. vets everywhere. I hate and that. We don't have that here. Like, you you would be hard-pressed to find any member of the military here traveling in uniform at all. Um, yeah. And there's no real, uh, like, thank you for your service, what you're doing for us in Afghanistan kind of uh, culture here either. Like, people go into the military, of course, but it's like people are just, you know, it's like another occupation. If you're probably right. I think we're probably getting close to the source. Uh, the American military industrial complex is by far has to be one of the biggest problems on on Earth. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that probably has a lot to do with it. It's about buying shit. It's about launching missile, missiles. It's not about having a job of a protector. And I think that when your your country is smaller and your budget is smaller, there's less room for you to join the military as an officer and to climb on top of people mm-hmm. to get that big retirement and the big house, and the big job, because there just might not be as much of that. I don't know how many, I mean, God, it's so common. I deal with um, hundreds of people a day in my current uh, private job. Some of them, many of them are military and they roll up mm-hmm. in these you know, nice cars with their, their older people. And, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I'm on that military retirement. It's great. So they have status, they have money, they have support, they have nice houses, nice cars. And mm-hmm. you don't get that by making sure that your men are treated fairly. You get that by literally stomping on people and climbing as high as you can, as fast as you can. So the reward, the incentive system, there is no incentive for doing a good job for your men. There's none. And there is an incentive for climbing on top of people to get a better rank. That is interesting. Um, I mean, I know basically, like here in Nettles, I know nobody who's actually in the military, so I can't uh, tell you anything about it. Um Interestingly, uh, there's a bit of crossover from my education to the military and a very little bit of amount of crossover from the military to my education. Um, so my... Oh, that's just a notification. So my education focuses kind of on uh, a lot of outdoor leadership stuff. And there's a few people here and there that get into my particular uh, education with the aim of... Uh, becoming an officer later so with the idea that they can kind of enroll directly into uh, training I guess for uh, uh, the function of an officer in uh, in the Dutch military somehow which is kind of interesting to me because I can see some potential crossover maybe but not that much um, but um, uh, where was I going with this um well, I don't think I was really going anywhere particular with this. Yeah, I think you were saying that there's <laughs> there's not a lot of it. Yeah, there's no, not a lot that's just there. there's not really that much of it. Um, what another thing that triggers my interest is um, you were telling me that there was a party on this ship where you were, where a guy has put flour or something throughout the whole ship. Yes, that was a wonderful experience. I have some photos of that. Maybe I can take them off. <laughs> I was about to say, this sounds like a good party. <laughs> um, so this is a good story, too. So the way that my very small Coast Guard unit operated, you know, if the Coast Guard were real, um, 
we had about six to 12 people on a team. I think on this one, we had eight, eight people. Mm -hmm. Um, the way that my unit operated was we were basically considered a guest on the ship until it was time to do the drug operation or the piracy operation. So we were, we were actually prohibited from doing what they call ship work. So we were not allowed to wash dishes. We were not allowed to do garbage. We were not allowed to stand a wash. We were not allowed to work on engines. We were literally, uh, so ship rider is a better term. We were ship riders. Our job was to stand by until the action happened. So historically, the many, many deployments that I was on, as soon as the ship that we're on pulls up to the, to the pier and puts the brow over, we walk off first because we don't have a job. We're not allowed to do a job. We just, okay, we got to our destination. We walk off. So that's how it's supposed to work. (laughs) It was great. Yeah. Um, so for some reason, um, my, we had a, an issue between, uh, the person in charge of the team and myself and one of my friends. So, uh, our team leader, I hate that word. Uh, they're called team leader. What they are is the team, um, supervisor, right? So, our team supervisor, um, I believe my friend spoke to the supervisor and said, hey, uh, I have some paperwork that I need to file with a church on this island that we're pulling into. I got married here a couple of years ago, and there's an issue, so I'm going to go handle that. Um, I think a conversation like that took place. So he walks up to me and goes, hey, as soon as this ship pulls up, let's go to the church because I'm on a time limit. And you know, you and me can go together. We'll be in a pair. We'll go. We'll do the paperwork. We'll come back. So we go. And then when we come back that night, um, there's a message for us that says we're in trouble and we have to talk to the boss. Oh. <laughs> so we're like, in trouble? For, for what? So <laughs> our team leader, <clears throat> team supervisor, uh, gets us in the office and they sit, sit us down and they go, how dare you? You're supposed to wait for permission from me. And I told you that we have to wait for permission to get cleared to leave the ship. I'm shocked. I'm like, why? We're not... A- we don't do work here. We're not allowed to do work. It's not like, it's not like, Hey, let's see if we have work to do or not. And then leave. There's no work to do. So uh, let's shorten the story up. So this happens, right? We get in trouble and, and they yeah. say the boss, the boss looks at me and looks at my friend and they say, you're being punished. And we're like, Oh, okay. We were actually two of the most active people on the team with the most qualifications. Right. We're like, okay, you got it. What's our punishment. And our boss said, you have to stay on this ship for 24 hours and you can't go on land while we're here in port. And we looked at each other and we kind of had a moment where our eyes spoke to each other. So I looked at the boss and I right. said, I said, okay, let me be clear. You're telling me that our punishment is we have to stay on this ship for 24 hours. That's it. Right. And they said, yes, we're going out to party and you will stay here. And I'm like, okay. So they left, they got all dressed right. up and they sprayed on, sprayed on their cologne and got their nice pants on. And then me and my friend were like, this, this is it. There's bars on this boat. Right. Did they, did they forget that? <laughs> So the whole team went out without us, and we go to the back of the ship, and they had filet mignon, they had sausage, they had cheeseburgers, they had um, they had the grills cooking out on the back of the ship. Uh, we had all the alcohol we can drink. We had beer taps. We had draft beer on tap for free. Um, there were people started wearing less and less clothing, uh, and that's because the Dutch and the British militaries have some beautiful women. Uh, oh, yeah. And they have a lot of them. <laughs> and they were wearing less and less clothing. And we we were on a mission to be punished. So we said, we're going to accept <laughs> this punishment. So we drank as much as we could, as fast as we could. Um, and we got just hammer drunk. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and at one point, someone grabbed a, a big sack of flour from the kitchen and started throwing it up in the air, running through the hallways, and, and nothing but his, his 
it was a, a male. It was a guy, and he had a pair of female panties on and a combat helmet, and that was it. <laughs> Running around throwing flour, and uh, so we were stuffed full on and uh, sausage and steak and uh, full of alcohol. Fuck. And uh, we partied probably until two or three o'clock in the morning, and then we went to bed. And I threw up in my on my blanket. It was great. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> that was my punishment. It was terrible. I felt so bad. I was yeah. such a bad boy. Yeah, I've I've had nights like that. Those are um, they're fun until you wake up. Fuck. Uh, <clears throat> that's that's and that's that's unique. So so that's interesting, right? We did something <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Well, are we going to look at like? And there was no discussion about the possibility that the team leader was wrong. Like there. We don't have a policy for that. We don't have orders for that. And yeah. our policy actually yeah. supports that we're not we're not stuck on the ship as prisoners or workers. We're, we're not. We're not part of the ship. So if we looked at the policy and we took it to any sort of official level of investigation, we would have been cleared because there was no policy for that. There's no rule for that. We just we did what we were supposed to do. And our boss just didn't like us. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense in a way. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um it reminds me, um, I uh, I partied with some uh, Dutch um, sailors, some some Navy people in that were like still in training. Um, so this was kind of a rock climbing related thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Like uh, here in Netherlands, we have um, basically most big student cities or towns have like their own uh, student rock climbing association. Um, so uh, this year the ZESAC had newly formed, which was the, um, uh, the, the well, basically the Navy Student Climbing Association. Um, and uh, I think a year or two earlier, they had caused some trouble at our um, well association's birthday party, let's say, um, because one of the traditions is that you steal one another's flag. Um, and... Oh, I mean, you're a climber yourself, right, Pat? So, yeah, I do the indoor rock climbing, and I, yeah. I love it. It's great. So you can imagine what happens when uh, you get climbers drunk and still tell them to steal a flag. <laughs> yeah, it's a little scary. Yeah, so I'm not entirely sure, again, where they uh, put this flag. I think it was, like, outside a window on, like, the fifth floor or something. Um, oh, God. And, of course, some... Absolutely retarded rock climber that was probably drunk, drunk of his ass actually went to get it. Um, nothing happened, luckily. Well, I mean, he got the flag, which, I mean, great success. <laughs> um, but that was, uh, I don't know if they actually got in trouble for that. Uh, because, well, uh, let's say command or, or their, their teachers may not have been uh, aware of this. <laughs> but um, one of the things is that we got a uh, tour on the uh, HMS Karel Dorman. I'm sending you the Wikipedia link now. Um, okay. And it's like this huge, I think it might even be the biggest ship in the Dutch Navy. Um, and um, it's like a big kind of supply ship. Let me see. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. With the... Uh, the actual type is anyway um one of the things they told us was uh i mean at this time the ship was very new it was like uh, in action since 
not even a full year, I think. Um, and uh, it almost like it takes uh, something like 150 people to operate the ship. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's an American counterpart to the ship that takes roughly, you know, 200 ish, or I mean, uh, roughly 300 ish yeah. people to run. Uh, that's very that's very common. Mm. Yeah. So two things. One uh, is that the U.S. Navy, for every foot of ship, uh, there's an equation for how many people it takes to run the ship. So some Navy ships um, pick a size. Like if the staffing of it is about 200 people, a yes. Coast Guard ship in the U.S. will do maybe 30% less or 40% less people to do that. Uh, one of the reasons is the U.S. Navy doesn't really have ship battles a lot. And they don't do these big wars of attrition, and they don't really launch mortars at other boats anymore. Right. So it's kind of a stale or dying service. And it, yeah. Really, the purpose of a navy is just administrative and supply and movement and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, the Coast Guard is so sharp and so active because so many of their missions they do every day. So they're out pulling people out of the water. They're out doing search patterns. They're right. out stopping drugs. So they're very active and they're very sharp. So they're able to have a real assessment of what it really takes to operate. Um, so it takes a lot less people, which is, it's a beautiful thing when you, it, there's less hands in the pot controlling it. Uh, the foreign navies are also the same way I've seen. So an American ship of a certain size will, will have um, more people and a foreign ship of the same size will have less people. So that's something I saw with my own eyes. Um, mm-hmm. And they operate very smoothly and very professionally because they allow people to have multiple jobs, to do multiple things, and to make decisions at a lower level. And the right. American Navy is not very good at that. That is interesting. Um, and that, that article you just sent me, the HNLMS, the Carl Dorman. Yes. Uh, in that article is a link to the HNLMS Amsterdam. I was on that boat. Or that really? ship. Let me check that out. Oh, man. That is... Um... So they're very similar. It's, and he said the Carl Dorman looks like it was supposed to replace the Amsterdam. Yeah, I'm just looking at it. The first first thing I was gonna say is it's not very pretty. Um, <laughs> it's nice on the inside, that's for sure. That's that's what I she believe said. You. Um, yeah. So one last thing before I wrap this little bit of the podcast up. Um, uh, this is just kind of a funny uh, anecdote I heard. Um, so a few months before we were there. Uh, this ship had returned from service uh, in the like close to Somalia, uh, mm-hmm. and we were asking like, has this ship seen like any combat? And we're like, well, not really. Like the only thing, the only confrontation that happened was that um, uh, some guy fired his uh, AK-47 like at the bow. And <laughs> <it> was just, <laughs> I was just imagining that that image in my mind, like. For anybody uh, listening, I mean, think of the uh, the Karl Dorman as like a huge uh, like container ship. You know, it's a fucking think of just a massive, massive uh, transport ship. Um, just some guy in his little skiff firing his AK-47 at the bow of the ship. <laughs> Fuck, dude. <laughs> I wish you luck, but <laughs> really, <laughs> maybe bring something bigger. <laughs> Yeah, they're huge. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, so much for uh, uh, your experiences in the Dutch Navy. Um, so, long story short, if you want to get treated like an adult and get absolutely fucking wasted, join the yeah. Navy, but not in America. 
Not the American Navy. No. <laughs> well, if you're an officer in the American Navy, maybe well, sure. that's different. The higher ranking, the better. Yeah. Yeah. Although I imagine that uh, the pay scale for a Dutch officer also has to be better than uh, for a like, regular Dutch soldier. Um, although, I mean, that also depends. If you ask our uh, uh, blue helmets in, ah, man, I lost the name of the place, uh, in Bosnia, you're just kind of paid to stand around while some guy uh, just basically takes everyone from your camp and murders them. Um, but anyway, um, so as for Boogaloo-specific stuff, um, Boogaloo is just about to kick off in uh, Virginia, but here in the Netherlands, everything is... Uh, pretty chill so far we have some farmers that are uh, getting rowdy with their tractors uh, <laughs> <laughs> like seriously it's a bit of a, a problem now uh, did you see the big protests from a few weeks ago <clears throat> okay well a few weeks ago uh, or maybe even a few months ago by now um, the farmers uh, Dutch farmers were really pissed because there were some plans from the uh, parliament and this all had to do with climate change. I'm not going to get into all of it now because it's complicated and long and boring. Uh, but basically, the, some of the plans included like culling whole, half of all livestock and buying out farmers. And sort of like, wait a second, no, fuck you. So what they did is they took their tractors um, and drove them over the highway in uh, morning rush hour traffic to The Hague, uh, where Parliament sits, um, and uh, well, basically went to protest there. This led to uh, record breaking uh, traffic, of course, because it's kind of hard to pass a massive fucking tractor driving 30 on the highway, um, especially if they're like all next to each other. Um, and then somewhere in, uh, in Groningen, which is like in the north. East, so it's kind of a place we ignore because honestly, there's tractors there and a little bit of cocaine and nothing. Um, they actually rammed the door of uh, the local municipality, they like drove a tractor through it. Um, I'm looking at some photos now of tractors blocking the highway, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, there's no real uh, boogaloo setting off here. Largely probably because we're uh, pretty much entirely disarmed. Um, and our government is not that tyrannical yet. But I was talking to uh, Maddie Kay, uh, you know, from Erase the State. And we came up with some uh, ideas. The first thing I thought of was uh, tactical throwable chihuahuas. Okay. So um, think of a chihuahua. They're little vicious fucks. Uh, mm -hmm. Like if you have your nice big Bur Burlington coat, um, you can probably fit like two or three of those in your pocket. Mm -hmm. So now pump them full of Chinese steroids. Um, and when I like you're it. attacked, basically just throw one at your attacker and, you know, just let it go off. That's brilliant. I think so. Um, they're reusable as well. <laughs> You, should, you can get them, uh, so some police canines in America, everyone gets all excited when uh, when a canine dog uh, br breaks or loses a tooth because then the police department will put like titanium 
fangs in a dog. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but that's got to be expensive, um, and it looks mean. Uh, you should Maybe you could do that, too, like as an add-on for your yeah, chihuahua. Yeah. Get a smaller, tactical titanium fangs. Yeah. Or maybe that would look um, get them like tactical grills. Yeah, tactical grills. Yeah. I could see that. That sounds pretty good to me. Um, anyway, that got us thinking. Uh, the best place to hide out or to, to base yourself during a boogaloo is the zoo. Because think about it. One, there's quite a few animals that you can, let's say, put to use in a direct tactical sense. I'm thinking of, I don't know, hippos. Like, I mean, hippos will fuck you up, man. Uh, oh, yeah. And like you're going to have to come at them with some pretty heavy caliber stuff to, to put one down as well. Um, well, then there's also a lot of less useful animals. Think of, say, alligators. I mean, that will fuck you up. But they're like super lazy. So they're not going to do much, you know. But there's a lot of meat on those fuckers. So, you know. I love the, uh, <laughs> the. Have you seen the photo of it's in, I think it's in Iraq. Um, I don't know if the story is true, but the title of the meme, the heading says uh, something about when the police bring out their canines, you know, you bring out your tiger or your lion. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, some yeah. guy has, yeah, has like I a lion that. on a leash. Yeah, that, that was in the Iraq uh, riots, right? A guy with a fucking lion. Yeah, that's awesome. That uh, fucking man. And that that beautifully it. illustrates why insurgencies almost always win because you're not <laughs> yes. constricted to rules. You're more yeah. flexible, you're more fast, you're more agile, uh, you have less of a footprint, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that puts me to the, uh, the last asp aspect of why a zoo is so great, um, because apart from, um, well, let's say just tactical attack animals in general, and lots of food... There's also lots of drugs. Oh, yeah. There's like all kinds of medicine for... They probably even have medicine for hippos. Imagine the trip you could have on a hippo medicine. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what kind of... What other kind of stuff they would have. Well, I mean, they probably have ketamine. Yeah, I'm sure they got some tranquilizers in there. You can exactly. sleep really well. <laughs> and I mean, maybe... I'm not entirely sure what kind of people zookeepers are, but there might just be some coke from some guy left behind there, here or there. Uh, you also have food that doesn't require a refrigerator. Hmm, that's a good one. Uh, Until you kill it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, even if you, like, say you've killed all the, uh, the alligators, you can use that space to grow your own plants. Mm -hmm. So you can literally uh, use the entire area to grow your own food. And you can use the enclosures as prison cells for people that you capture. Exactly. And uh, there's lots of buildings in the zoo. So mm -hmm. this means there's plenty of opportunity to booby trap them. Oh, geez. Yeah. And there's camera systems. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful, man. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, how long have we been going? Looks like 40 minutes. Hello. I got you. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I think we, we kind of lost each other there. Um, what's, uh, what's the last? Oh, uh, so instead of calling it the Boogaloo, we can call it the Zoogaloo. <laughs> oh, it's a good one. <laughs> I haven't, uh, haven't quite got on to that yet.
Um, I think uh, Boogaloo has become too much common parlance, you know, like yeah, mainstream of like the small uh, libertarian anarchist community now know what Boogaloo means. Still there? Yeah, I'm here. Ah, okay, yeah. Um, which I mean, it's nice to have some some uh, you know brand recognition, uh, but maybe in this case it's better to keep it on a down low a little bit. Um, so we could just call it, say, yearly uh, family zoo visit. Family zoo visit. Yeah, you know, um, I am entirely in favor of that. Uh, did you catch my whole story about um, uh, Trent and not being approached by the Coast Guard? Nope. Okay, so uh, my very first episode, I talked with Trent, uh, who, by the way, has his own podcast, which I absolutely listened to. Um, right. <laughs> um, but uh, he uh, did some time in the army um, he didn't deploy um, but he told me that uh, there's a point in training or in the sign up process where you are approached by representatives from all the different branches of the military um, and he says well he was except for one the coast guard um, <laughs> And then later, I talked with uh, Manny Kay, um, who's based in Texas, and he told me um, that although he hasn't uh, served any time himself, uh, he said that he's met, uh, you know, employees and, and recruiters from all branches. He's even seen uh, employees from the Coast Guard and Coast Guard ships, but just never any recruiters. Uh-huh. Uh, so my theory is that the entire thing is uh, a front which is also why they don't need recruiters um, because anyone recruited to the Coast Guard has some fairly high level uh, access already you know because like they need to be uh, aware of what's going on yeah it makes perfect sense yeah I think so um, and this meshes up entirely with uh, uh, your story because if I remember correctly, in your uh, appearance on the Biting the Bullet podcast, you at some point mentioned that uh, you and your team had a secret clearance, but not a top secret clearance. Uh, some, of, some of the people at my unit, I think some of the team leaders, uh, I, I hate that word, but some of the <laughs> team leaders had that, uh, not all of them. Uh, but yeah, we were required to have it at a minimum a secret clearance. Okay. so. Um, I have no idea what you can and can't uh, be aware of with a secret clearance, but I think that if you were recruited to work for uh, a front, that you would at the very least need a secret clearance, right? Yeah. Um, so that got me thinking, you know, who um, who might benefit from putting on this act? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the answer to that is obvious. It's obviously the CIA, because mm, fuck who else? Um, <laughs> um, so from that, I'm gonna sidestep a little bit, but it's gonna make sense um, because there's also the thing um, about Bird. You see, Bird and Car are not the same person. This is a conspiracy that I've heard repeated on Twitter several times. This is not true. What is true? Bird and Todd are the same person. 
Um, because think about it. Although Bird doesn't uh, like show his face or his real identity, which makes sense because he couldn't. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we know from Bird several things. One, he has a funny voice. Two, he's short. <laughs> Three, he's fat. <laughs> now, think about uh, three ways you could describe Todd Hagopian. Don't know much about him, but I'm listening. Okay, well, um, short, fat, and has a funny voice. Sound familiar? <laughs> ah, it's all coming together now. Yes, so um, basically together with uh, Carr, he's running a podcast where they put their support behind Todd Hagopian. Um, we now know that Taragopian dropped out, but this all, make, all makes sense uh, because now the gathered support from the popular podcast, that is the FatCast, um, moves to Joshua Smith, uh, you know, the other big guy. Um, so they kind of uh, rallied the support around their candidate um, by promoting him on several uh, very popular podcasts. Um, and then they got him elected into the LP where they destroy the LP from the inside out. Now, um, here's where you're involved in this. Um, okay. Basically, I have a theory that uh, Jared from the Biting Bullet and Joshua are also the same people. So Joshua Smith, the guy running for LP chair. Um, and my thinking is that you introduced Jared to the CAA and to this plot. Because clearly, uh, working for the Coast Guard uh, with some clearance, clearly working for the CAA, actually, um, which also links up with your anti-drug operations, I think. Um, you, uh, you know, you, you contact, or you get into contact with Jared at some point, like, you know what? We can get this guy uh, to run for LP chair. Um, and destroy any the only real competition that Dems and Reps have uh, from the inside out because obviously what's going to happen is that as soon as he's elected he's just going to go full gun control full like anti-hate speech <laughs> etc so uh, what do you plead Pat are you do you plead innocent do you plead guilty <laughs> well of course I of course, I know nothing about this scheme. Uh, <laughs> right, right. That sounds like something a CAA agent would say. Yeah. I and mean, of course, I'm out of the military and government work completely. <laughs> I've left both of those behind, of course. Well, of course you have. But, I mean, we all know that the CAA is not actually the military. Um, so you can easily tell me this without lying. Well, of course, I'm also probably not a very good liar. Um, let's see what you know that's funny (laughs) years and years ago when i was kind of when i was still a status i used to think you know how fucking cool would it be if the cia was like hey we've been watching you we're here for you you know you should come work for us and i was always like (laughs) romanticized by that like man that would be cool and now thinking about that fucking terrifies me yeah so it's funny how things change um yeah there are people out there that uh that are way more capable than me and that uh, are way more, they're way more statists than I am. So I'm, I'm of course not interested at all. Uh, <laughs> funny how things work. Like I used to think, man, I'm going to climb that ladder and 
be at the top of those agencies and be a big hitter. And then I realized how much of a, a fraud it is and how the higher you go, the less work you do um, and the more of a politician you become, which sucks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it started crumbling in my head, which thank God. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of um, the a story that Edward Snowden tells. Uh, so I've been reading his book, um, and one of the craziest things he explains is, um, well, for one, how incredibly bad both NSA and NCA were at um, like just general uh, uh, security and privacy. Like they said terrible passwords. They didn't do anything to protect their own uh, identities online. Like literally, I do more than them, which is crazy <laughs> because, I mean, I have quite a few things set up, but I'm by no means uh, particularly literate on anything tech-related. Um, but uh, basically, he came upon most of his data, most of his uh, discoveries, I guess, when he was working at a very low-level position somewhere in Hawaii. Like He had no, no real crucial job, but somehow, uh, because the, the, the entire system was just kind of fucking dumb uh he had access to pretty much all of the uh information that the nsa had stored um which is uh, uh in that sense reminded me of what you tell me in the sense that um like you thought about going or, or, or climbing the ranks and doing real uh like being a hard hitter doing real uh, <laughs> big important things um but in the end like that's not the case. You, I mean, you get paid more and you have a, a relatively better life, but you're not actually doing more. Well, more of anything, really. Um, so that's pretty much all I have. Um, is there anything you uh, you want to tackle still? Um, you know, I'm really I'm thankful that I had those experiences. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people come into being a voluntarist um, or whether you call yourself a libertarian. Um, I don't use that term anymore because it's got such a political meaning behind it. Right. Um, I'm a voluntarist or an anarchist. So a lot of people come there through their own ways. And I'm, I'm always interested. I think about what would have happened if, you know, if I got hired sooner as a police officer or if I never joined the military and I went straight into law enforcement or, you know, what if what if I I failed a certain interview or passed a certain interview, you know, would my mm. thoughts have been different? Um, that's, uh, I, I spent, that's, that's scary a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine uh, that actually reminds me of a question. I still wanted to ask you um, mm-hmm. kind of based on also what you described uh, was there. Yeah. Uh, described with your experience with the Dutch and English Navy. Uh, would you say, say, right. Hypothetically, if you uh, had somehow joined the, the, Dutch or, or English armed forces uh, that you wouldn't or would less fast have become uh, well libertarian, anarchist, frontierist, whatever? Well, I think that sometimes the more happy and the more content you are, the less likely you are to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think you have, I think it's not requirement, but I think that the more miserable you are or the more pain you experience, um, the more likely your body is to say, you know, we got to change this. We got to look at this a different way. We have to do something. Um, when you're happy and you have your smartphone and your your good car and your good job and your steady paycheck mm-hmm. um, and all the perks, 
I think that's probably why a lot of people that are higher ranking in the military and law enforcement don't transition over because to realize that everything is a farce, like that everything is false, to realize that and then to know that that leads to you walking away from that job, that means that you lose your lifestyle the way that you currently have it. Um, and that's, that's, I think that sets in very early for people. And I think the tipping point is probably, that's why I think the tipping point is probably midlife when you start to just get moving and you have, you haven't earned enough that you can lose everything, but you started earning, earning enough that, you know, well, if, if I switch, I can still have some time to grow and expand and be successful. Um, it's scary to tell someone late in life, everything, you know, is a lie. You know, you're, you have to give up everything you have. You have to start over. It's really hard to, and it's hard to take away your identity once it's fully formed. So once you're 70, 80, 90 years old, you know, go talk to one of those people and say, Hey, how would you feel if all those wars you fought and all that money you made and everything you did was all false and a lie and immoral? Of course, no one wants to look at themselves in the eyes and go, whoops, sorry about that. You know, they want to think it's easier and happier and less stressful to think, man, I did all that great work. Wonderful. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So I'm happy that I came to this point. Uh, And it's pros and cons, you know, positive and negative, just like everything. I now don't worry about things that are trivial. So I don't watch political TV. I don't get upset when the red party says the blue party, you know, (laughs) you're liars. And you did. I don't have to read any document about any law or regulation. because the only conversation that matters is, are you my slave owner or do I own myself? Yeah. So now it frees up my brain. I no longer have to worry about all that bullshit. Um, the problem, though, is now I see everything as, are you my slave owner or not? And of course, yeah. the answer is you know, the bad one. <laughs> yeah. So there's pros and cons. It allows part of my brain to free up, but it also takes over everything. So every time I watch a Hollywood movie in the movie theater, it's, Oh God, here comes the government to save the day. Who could have guessed it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so a lot of movies and TV were ruined for me. Um, friendships, yeah, I, I wouldn't say friendships were ruined, but it allows me to look through friendships. I look at friendships through a different lens. Hmm, so I still have, I, I have lots of status friends. Right. Um, and I, I ask them tough questions here and there just to see what they think. Um, and I say, hey, you know, maybe that's not right. Or maybe we could do it different. Um, and I just try and help a little bit, but. I, yeah, you know, I try, they're humans. They're still human. I used to be a statist, so I would want to be my own friend. I would think. So yeah, it changed changed my life quite a bit. Yeah, that's interesting. I was uh, so. I mean, personally, I'm kind of new to the whole libertarian thing. Uh, I think I started really considering uh, most of these things around summer, um, and uh, oh. Um, there we are again. Okay. I think uh, we should be able to get cut off again. Um, All right. It doesn't really matter anyway because I was incoherently rambling. Um, <laughs> um, well, uh, let's see. So, um, too long. Or, uh, the too long didn't listen version of this podcast would be. Um, Dutch name, uh, Zug, and um, uh, your CAH. Mm-hmm. So, uh, where do you? I'm having a really, a really hard time hearing you with the signal. Can you say that again? Uh, yeah, give me a sec. Uh, okay, maybe this is better. Um, so, uh, long story short, um, 
Dutch Navy uh, better than American Navy, um, uh, Zuglu and Eurocity. Um, so, um, where can people find you? All right. Uh, the website is uncensoredtactical.com. One word, no space. All right. Uh, same, same handle for Twitter and Instagram, Uncensored Tactical. Check. Um, if, uh, I produce a lot of my content on YouTube, uh, but I don't read a lot, almost any of the comments there or respond to them. So if you want to respond to the community at large, you can do that, but you won't be speaking with me. I don't do the comments on YouTube. Um, I do have a training course coming up for tactical lockpicking. It's going to be in March in Florida. If you want some training, please hit me up. Oh, geez. Sorry about that. Uh, space is limited. Um, and I'm expecting it to sell out quick. Uh, I have a book coming out. that will be out in a few months. I'm excited for that. And if you find some value on my show, you can support me with uh, my Patreon I just launched. So oh, sweet. Uh, I, I, right now I'm just doing the value for value model. So it's, if you found, if I was able to save you four bucks or keep you from spending four terrible dollars, or if I found you a good purchase somewhere that was worth it and gets you out of a jam, um, I would love for people to help me continue to create content. That is uh, awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just that um, uh, plane tickets are a bit of expensive for me, but otherwise I'd love to come to uh, Florida and uh, take a lockpicking course with you. Awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, anyway, uh, my plugs are, uh, well, number one, you can uh, find my editor, uh, Jeremiah Harding, uh, on Twitter under at insanity is three, free. Um, so at insanity is free. One word. Uh, I uh, I get him to edit my audio because I'm too lazy to. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bolsidopol, uh, under uh, on Keybase on keybase.io slash Bolsido. Um, and uh, well, I mean you can always find me on Discord, but just ask. I'm in all of the servers, so you know just like float a balloon and I'll probably see. Um, that's all. Thank you very much for coming on, man. Uh, I had fun. Me too. Good. Um, and, uh, you know, you're always welcome back. So uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure, man. And um, as we say here, how do? How do? <laughs>